Community Cats podcast. Ready? Let's go. Welcome to the Community Cats Podcast. I am your host, Stacey LeBaron. I have been involved helping homeless cats for over 20 years with the Merrimack River Feline Rescue Society. The goal of this podcast is to expose you to amazing people who are improving the lives of cats. I hope these interviews will help you learn how you can turn your passion for cats into action. Today, we're speaking with Bonnie Brown. Bonnie Brown is the president, founder, and principal consultant for Humane Network. Bonnie is the former executive director of the Nevada Humane Society in Reno. She dramatically increased adoption rates and led the community to achieve and sustain a 94% live release rate for dogs and cats, making Washu County one of the safest communities in the country for homeless animals and receiving Maddie's Funds Community Lifesaving Award. Bonnie is a former Chief Operating Officer for Best Friends Animal Society and former Campaign Director for Alley Cat Allies. Bonnie is teaching the University of Pacific's Shelter Management Certificate Program and is a frequent speaker on increasing pet adoptions and other life-saving programs, as well as management and fundraising for humane organizations. In 1992, Bonnie founded the Neponset Valley Humane Society in Canton, Massachusetts. Bonnie has over 10 years of experience in retail buying and management and is a graduate of Boston University. Bonnie, welcome to the show. Hi, thanks so much, Stacy. Glad to be here. Wow, you have quite a resume, and um, I had the honor of meeting you back in the days when you had started the Neponset Valley Humane Society. I was just wondering if you could uh, touch upon those early days and let us know how you got started in the business. Absolutely. It's funny that you mentioned that because I have very vivid memories of lobbying at the State House with you uh, for the um, leg hole trap ban legislation long before uh, that came into play. And I think the license plate, uh, too, the Spain license plate. So, yeah, that was a long time ago. <laughs> uh, anyway, um, yeah, you know, I got into this in a kind of funny way. My uh, Oddly enough, my parents were actually animal rescuers. So as a kid, I grew up in a household with lots of rescued dogs and cats. My father would bring them home from uh, where he worked in Boston, and uh, they would, for the most part, become part of the family. Sometimes my mother would find homes for kittens, uh, but a lot of the dogs and cats came and stayed with us. And, uh, you know, as I got older, went to college, I sort of got away from the whole uh, Animal Rescue League until this somewhat defining moment occurred probably around 1990. I was driving home from work lot one night and in my headlights I caught this black kitten in the gutter trying to eat something and of course he was a feral cat. I didn't really understand that at the time but uh, did some research, was somewhat, uh, at the time, naive and shocked to learn that if I took him to the local shelter, he would be euthanized because he was a feral cat. Uh, And uh, so finally hit upon Alley Cat Allies and connected with some great local people. Uh, Val Beatty is one who had started Just Cats down in Mansfield and Roberta Keese is another. Uh, she had Hilltop Humane Society in Randolph. And so that was sort of my introduction into uh, the field. This kitten, this black kitten, I uh, owe a lot of it to him. Boy, those are names from the past. I remember, you know, <laughs> yes. meeting up with Val down in Mansfield back when we were, it was before the Massachusetts 
Animal Coalition, we had was the Humane Coalition of Massachusetts. Is that what we called ourselves? That's right. Yeah. 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 So that was that was quite quite a while ago. And it was definitely that was my first experience doing any sort of advocacy work on behalf of animals um, that day in the state house and strolling around with my daughter, my two-year-old daughter, or in the stroller. I remember that. Yeah, I think that was it was probably for the Spanish license plate legislation, the more I think about it. Yeah. So back then you turned to Roberta and Val for help. Um, but then you started your own organization. You started the Neponset Valley Humane Society as a result of seeing what these other two women were doing. I did. Yeah, I really felt we needed to meet the need in the the local communities. Uh, we ended up serving the Canton, Sharon area, uh, and eventually took over a good portion of the Just Cats work from Val down in the Mansfield area, too. And I have to say, you know, early on, I went down to one of the first Alley Cat Allies conferences in Washington, D.C., and the, that was really quite uh, defining for me as well in terms of getting a thorough understanding of trap new to return and how and why it worked so yeah I was really fortunate to find a lot of amazing people pretty early on and uh, really owe a lot to them yeah the one thing that when I think of Bonnie Brown I think that you are great at connecting with people and you're not I would say not particularly shy about trying to connect and find people. What sort of recommendations would you give, you know, others in terms of say trying to approach a potential funder or just a collaborative partner, somebody that you want to work with? How would you approach someone? Yeah, I think it can be, um, you know, helpful if you can find a connection to the person who can help make the introduction, especially today, you know, through email, Facebook, I can sort of help guide your way to find a mutual connection. But but really, um, you know, if you approach people with a question, a sincere question about what they do and how they do it and why they do it. Most people, even though they're very busy, are happy to try to make time to explain because after all, it all started somewhere. And and it's a great way to make contacts. It it works with uh, folks in, in the media and well, pretty much everybody, donors, you know, to take the time to try to get them as a, to know them as an individual and ask about their personal connection to animals. It's, it's very powerful and it deepens that relationship. Yeah, some of the smaller groups that I've worked with in my uh, the mentoring program that I ran with the Merrimack River Feline Rescue Society and that I will be continuing to do through uh, some community CATS grants is a matching fundraising grant where a group will be asked to raise $1,000 of a new fundraising initiative and then the grant will match that $1,000. Wow, that's great. I work with smaller groups like their revenues are about $60,000 or less. And in many groups, their revenues are like five to $10,000 a year. And some of these groups have never done a mailing. They've never had a board member campaign, fundraising campaign. Um, and one of the topics that have came out of that primer grant process was the, the group said, you know, we never realized how important the ask was and how successful just by asking for a donation that 
that really could be. What a great comment. A- absolutely. And people are often afraid to be specific and explain what it is they need. But really, there's a lot of power in that, too. A lot of people care deeply about animals and they want to help. And therefore, if you share a, a, a specific example of what you need the help for, like the story of a specific animal that needs um funding, say, to receive treatment or particular equipment that you might need, whether it's traps or uh, specific supplies or equipment for a spay-neuter clinic. Uh, The more specific, really, the better the results because it takes the mystery out of what you want. Sometimes we say, well, we need donations and volunteers, but it's, it's very unclear to people exactly what might they be volunteering for. So if you can be specific and say we need volunteers to socialize cats or walk dogs or come to a special training session to learn how to trap and neuter feral cats, it's going to give people a lot more comfort and you're going to get a lot better response. And, you know, they've done a lot of research into fundraising and they find that the connection of of one-to-one is really magical and they don't exactly know why whether it's overwhelming when we hear about the thousands of people or animals in need uh, but people can really identify and empathize with the plight of an individual so whenever you can to pick a an animal that can be uh, the example of the situation that you're talking about it's going to be a lot easier to engage people than just a generic ask that's sort of more more general although really any kind of asking is better than than none at all I mean you think about how busy we all are and if no Nobody makes really clear to us what the needs are, what the expectations are. It's really rare we actually sit down and write that check. So um, that's a really amazing story and a great takeaway, uh, Stacy, that people got out of it, the importance of the ask. And now let's take a moment to listen to a few words from our sponsors. Flashlight tag was fun when you were a kid, but no one wants to play hide and seek with their trap. Find your trap's location quickly and safely, even when you visit it at night, with the Reveal Wild application for Samsung Galaxy, HTC One, Sony, Xperia, and other Android phones. Or go to tinyurl.com forward slash Reveal Wild. I want to take a quick step back because I'd love to mention something that was really impactful to me. And I've never said thank you for this, but I want to thank you because when you were at Naponsa, you crafted the idea of the cat action team. You were always thinking about how you could take a model that you had in one particular community and how could it be replicated in multiple communities. And a lot of those ideas I took with me in being able to work with groups up on the North, North Shore in Massachusetts to be able to replicate community projects all around, which expanded to doing a very successful project in Lowell, Mass, working in Fitchburg. And we've had probably about four other groups spin off of MRFRS over the years. But it was your model that really got me thinking about how can we provide tools for groups to be able to build up on their own. So I just wanted to mention that and thank you for providing me with that sort of tip. (laughs) 
<laughs> That's so cool. I'm, I'm glad to hear about that. That's wonderful. So in Massachusetts, at least, and, and I assume across the country, there are lots of small grassroots organizations that have started up or are starting up. You started one 20 plus years ago. If you were just starting up today, where would you turn to in order to get the necessary information to grow your business? Well, there's a, fortunately just a wealth of information out there online today to help people get going. There is also a great website and organization that works on grassroots fundraising that has some really just invaluable stuff. I believe the name is Kim Klein, whose organization it is. Um, and, and we also work with groups to help them increase their their funding base and uh, develop a sustainable program that can live on and be there into the future to help the animals. I, I think one of the most important things to keep in mind is really that fundraising is really about relationships and whether it's online through Facebook or whether it's through a direct mail appeals or very, you know, cultivating individual donors so that you can get larger gifts. It's really comes down to the relationship and cultivating that and when you think about it, any relationship, the only way that it's going to work is based on uh, communication and ongoing communication that that on some level meets a need for the recipient of the information. You know, we really always work with groups to be really clear on their mission. That's really important because it's hard to talk about it if you're not clear and able to easily articulate what your uh, goals are and the specific nature of your work. And then really to talk about it, frequency matters in terms of how often you are getting your message out there and making it something interesting. I think one of the great uh, lessons that I learned from, from best friends is the power of keeping things positive rather than negative, you know, focusing on all the things that are wrong. Um, it's much more powerful to focus focus on the opportunities and the successes and the needs that um, that an individual's donation can make a difference. That really resonates for people. They want to know that their gift is going to help an animal to survive, to have a good life, and that it's going to be impactful. One of the best uh, things that comes back to me day in, day out is um, one of the first fundraising talks I ever heard was by Richard Avanzino of, well, he recently retired from Maddie's Fund. And Richard had this very simple three-step formula. He said, do good work, tell people about it, ask them to help. And you really, it really has distilled things, I think, so perfectly because sometimes people say, well, I have an idea and I want to ask people for money. Well, that's really hard because the first part is important. You really do have to do something in most cases for people to see the opportunity for success, the potential of success, and to invest in you with a donation. So doing good work, is an essential part. And then, of course, telling people about it in a way that they find interesting and engaging. And then it comes back to the power of the ask. So it's just such a great and succinct way to think about it that I often find that we um, share that with people when we're talking about fundraising and increasing the resources they have to do their work. Can you tell me a little bit about uh, what you're doing with Humane Network and how it impacts community cats? When I was at Nevada Humane Society, we began receiving so many requests from communities and groups around the country asking for help that it was really not possible to meet 
their uh, needs for information and support and actually do the work. So there came a time where we really felt that things at Nevada Humane Society were running quite well. And uh, my colleague, Diane Blankenberg, and I had long been talking about forming an organization that would support uh, organizations, including uh, grassroots groups. And so we decided to uh, take the plunge and help Nevada Humane Society find a new executive director and, and moved on to focus on Humane Network. Since then, we've worked with organizations all across the country of all sizes, from very small to some of the largest intake animal control facilities in the country, uh, like Philadelphia Animal Care and Control and uh, the Animal Foundation in Las Vegas. And our goal is always to help organizations improve their live release rate. I realize here in the Northeast, most organizations have a very strong live release rate already because the numbers of animals have dropped due to the great spay-neuter work that's been done. But in lots of parts of the country, that still is a challenge. And everywhere we find that groups struggle with sustainability, uh, with raising sufficient resources and creating processes that can support the organization into the future. And and I want to come back to your question earlier too, Stacy, about grassroots groups. And, you know, unfortunately, um, even though we are also a nonprofit organization, we can rarely afford to do work for free, but we do have very low rates compared to a for-profit consulting organization. However, still, even with the low rates, it can be very difficult for a smaller grassroots groups to afford help that they may even deeply need. And while we occasionally try to do some pro bono work, usually the scope is limited because we have so much other work on our plates, but we work with several other organizations and a couple of foundations that can sometimes help local groups that may be smaller to afford the help that they need. So we always welcome people to reach out to us. We're happy to talk about what we think uh, would be helpful to them and then see if we can help them identify sources uh, for funding so that the work and support can, can materialize. Right. And also looking down the road, there might be a model where you could actually do something collaboratively with three groups at the same time um, in some way, if there are certain topics that they're covering. I mean, I know this is happening in medicine and certainly there are a lot of support programs, you know, like Weight Watchers or Alcoholics Anonymous, which gets everybody into a group working together. And maybe there's some, you know, efficiencies there where a group could actually do something, you know, as a threesome rather than as a single group. That's it's a fabulous idea, Stacy. It's a really great idea. I love that. Many of the questions are the same. For a small group, you know, even just understanding financials, what do I need to report? How should I track it? Just even how to find board members. That's a huge question at the grassroots level is how to recruit board members to be able to grow the organization and to get the board members in the room that are able to think in that growth terminology and bring their special skills, you know, to help benefit the organization. You're absolutely right. It's very challenging. For, for a lot of groups. And I know, you know, because you did it successfully with Merrimack River Feline Rescue Society, but it, it is difficult. And so help and support and advice can really go a long way. And we have helped several groups with the board development. It's, it's such a critical thing because when you have the right people there, a lot begins to fall into place. When you are finding your board members, either for Neponset or for Nevada, what are your tips and tricks in terms of recruiting new board members? Um, one of the best ways that we tend to approach it is to brainstorm what the 
gaps are on the current board in terms of the needs of the organization. Um, we find it's typically helpful to have certain skills on the board. Um, it's really nice if you have somebody who has connections within the community to folks who have financial means and resources, but lacking that or even alongside that, it's really great to have people who have skills that will benefit you. For example, someone with a finance background who can help ensure that things are on a solid track. It's always helpful to have a lawyer on your board. They can answer a whole lot of questions uh, pretty quickly that would be expensive uh, to get answered otherwise. It's beneficial to um, identify other needs. A common one is the whole marketing and public relations side. And if you can get a PR or marketing or communications professional who is interested in your cause, it's, it's wonderful to have at least one of them on the board. Those are probably the three most common critical professions to have represented, I think. But, um, you know, different organizations may have different needs. They may already have some on the board that fills some of these. Um, and, you know, the the idea of creating a board member agreement or contract so that people, when you're asking them to join the board, they have a really clear picture of the expectations. Compass Point Nonprofit Online has a particularly wonderful and simple board member agreement that you can use and edit. And it, it really helps a lot if everybody is on the same page in terms of what you want board members to to commit to do. That eliminates a lot of the frustration that comes when people aren't showing up for meetings or perhaps aren't perceived to be pulling their weight in terms of fundraising um, or, or personal donations as well. And, and we have worked with several boards on this process and helped them talk through identifying people. And sometimes just a guided discussion can help folks think about who they actually do know who might be a great board member for them. And then it does come back to that reality of actually asking them if they would be interested in serving on the board. It does. Absolutely. Yes. And, and you know, there are ways to do that to make sure that in the personal meeting that you're, that it is in fact someone you want. You know, you can talk to someone as a prospective board member before you lay all your cards on the table and, and get a good feel for them one-on-one, um, almost informal interview if it's not somebody you already know. So those are the kinds of things that we do help groups with all also looking at their their bylaws and the way they run board meetings to make sure they're efficient and effective and and you know one of the worst things for capable people is to be on a board where the meetings drag on and on and nothing seems to ever get done and no decisions are made. Folks who you want on your board are people who are going to want to see that you are making progress and that their time is being used well in terms of getting results. So there are lots of great tricks and advice for that. In fact, the woman who did the Happiness Project, it was a book that came out a few years ago, she has a great online list of tips for a great meeting, things that you should do to have a great meeting. And it's really one of the best lists ever. You can just Google it and find it. It's the Happiness Project's, I don't know, effective meeting list or something like that. We'll try and make sure we'll get that in the show notes. Oh, great. 
Bonnie, if people are interested in reaching out to you, how would they find you? Um, well, we are on Facebook as Humane Network, and we also have a website, which is humanenetwork.org. You can email us through the website or message us through our Humane Network Facebook page. And uh, we'd love to hear from anyone if we can help them out. In closing, is there anything else you'd like to share with our listeners today? Just that I never cease to be inspired by the amazing work that gets done for animals, both people who work in the field as professionals and the amazing grassroots efforts that go on to help homeless cats and feral cats. And, you know, especially now, especially here in the Northeast, I think really starting to pioneer what comes next for animal welfare in terms of uh, looking out for those animals that uh, are perhaps the most vulnerable, you know, geriatric animals, animals that have health issues or uh, behavior challenges. That's certainly uh, the next horizon. And it's very exciting to be here. And, and as I said, I just never cease to be inspired by, you know, your work and the work of so many other incredible people that has accomplished so much for the animals here in the Northeast and, and also around the country. I agree with you. I just, uh, doing this podcast has introduced me to so many incredible people and I continue to meet just amazing people that are doing great work across the country. I bet. And I, I really do hope that one day we're going to get to a, a stage where we'll, we won't have no cat left behind kind of mantra. Love it. That all of our community cats will have their needs addressed. And it won't be a question as to whether to do it. It's just, it's what we do. That's, that's great. I love it. Great vision. Bonnie, thank you so much for being on the show today. You are a tremendous mentor, leader in the industry. I'm just so thrilled that you were able to join me today. And I hope you're willing to be a guest in the future. Well, I'm honored, Stacy. Anytime at all. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to the Community Cats Podcast. If you could go to iTunes and review the show, we'd really appreciate it. When you do, take a screenshot of your review, go to communitycatspodcast.com forward slash review and enter your information and we'll send you a t-shirt. While you're there, don't forget to check out all the ways you can support the content you're passionate about. Thanks, everyone.